I've told you a hundred times, I don't want to win awards. Give me pictures that end with a kiss and black ink on the book. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film and Water Podcast, part of the Fire and Water family slash network of podcasts. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And for this uh, special, though they're all special, year-end episode of the Film and Water Podcast, I am joined by our pal, Siskoid. Siskoid, thanks for doing the show, man. It's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, yeah, I asked uh, Siskoid to come on because he, like, like me, I saw a, seen saw a lot of movies in 2015, and I thought it would be kind of fun for a year-end year-end show to just sort of do a big overview over what we saw over 2015. I made a special effort to see you know more movies this year, and Siskoid seems to see a lot of movies come on effort somewhat effortlessly. So uh, <laughs> I thought I thought it would be fun. To have him on, and especially uh, because he's also got his own po- – he started his own podcast this year, the Romance – the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast. I get that right, Cisco? This time you did. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, we're going to just go through, you know, just some quick comments on some of the films and some longer comments on some of the others and just go down and just talk about what we saw in 2015. Now, the stuff that we're going to mention here is theatrical only. Uh, this is not anything, at least nothing on my list is anything I saw on Home Ed, except for one title, which I will give a special shout out to at the end. But this is all stuff that I made the effort to go see theatrically. Is that the same? Is the same thing for you, Cisco? Same for me. Um, if we were doing all movies, <laughs> we'd be here for hours. Yeah, this would be like one of the, this would be like the episode 50 of the Fire and Water podcast. One of those yeah, five hour seen, punch drunk thing. Yeah, I must have seen over 100 films this year. Woo! All right. All Very nice. Yeah. 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 So this is it. This is just stuff that we made the effort to see theatrically. So let's just get started. So for me, uh, I started with an older film. Um, there is a, a theater chain here called in the United States called Cinemark. Do you have them in Canada? Is this good? I don't. Well, not in my area. In okay. Any case. So, yeah, they have Cinemark. And Cinemark has a thing called the Cinemark Classic Series where they show old movies on Sundays and Wednesdays. They do it in sort of groups of six. They pick six films. Sometimes they're, they're thematically related. Most of the time they're not. I think it's, it's basically what they can get uh, a hold of in terms of a digital projection. And they show old movies. And between my love of old movies and the fact that my nephew expressed interest in sort of getting to know more about film, uh, I made it a, a point to see pretty much everything that Cinemark had to offer, even if it was things I wasn't terribly interested in. Case in point, uh, the first film I saw of the year was How the West Was Won, the big omnibus early 60s film directed by, uh, there's John Ford and a couple other directors that are doing short segments, and it features like this all-star cast. It's got uh, Spencer Tracy doing the narration and John Wayne and, uh, oh, what's his, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name, Richard Widmark. Um, it's a film I'd never seen, but Gregory Peck, it's a, I'd never seen this movie. And so I thought, well, here's my chance to see it on the big screen. Uh, it was one of those early like Cinerama movies, you know, destined to sort of designed to get people out of uh, their homes and not watching television anymore to come back to the theater. So that was a lot of fun. It's not a great movie. Uh, it's kind of, you know, pretty pro forma. Uh, all the cast sort of comes in for their, big cameos essentially and then disappears and they move on down to the the next story but it was nevertheless a fun theatrical experience because you know it's it's one of the kind of movies you probably should watch on the big screen have you ever seen that movie how the west was won i haven't no 
Yeah, I haven't. Was... And, and I, we don't have. I, I wish we had a what I call a, a repertoire theater where we, they'd show old films. It's very rare that they do this here, and it's usually like geek-related films. Mm. Like they'll show, uh, you know, Back to the Future or something when it was the anniversary or things like that. But uh, usually midnight showings, which are way too late for uh, someone my age. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first new film I saw of the year was uh, J.C. Chandor's A Most Violent Year with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. And as I have mentioned in previous episodes, I am just in love with Oscar Isaac. I think he is just tremendous. And I basically saw this movie because he was in it. And um, yeah. J.C. Chandor is a really interesting director. He's only made three films so far. One of them was Margin Call, which was a, like a Wall Street drama. Then he did All is Lost, which is the, the movie with Robert Redford, where it's just Robert Redford in a boat, no other cast members. And then this movie, which is a sort of throwback to the sort of Sidney Lumet um, urban dramas of the 70s and 80s. And so this guy's really quite diverse of a filmmaker. And I, I really liked A Most Violent Year. I thought it was, it's set in 1982, um, hence the title. And I thought it was really, tr- really a terrific movie, again, with Oscar Isaac in the lead performance. He is great in it. As I mentioned in last week's episode, I've seen him in four movies this year, four projects. All four of them he was great in. So. I am just a giant fan of this guy, and I am kind of like, I'll see whatever he, he, he goes to see. So that was how my year started. So what about you? <laughs> Your year started most violently. Yeah, yes, uh, it did. <laughs> uh, mine was um, January is usually when we actually catch up on Oscar nominees. Uh, the, you know, they all came out in bigger markets, and then suddenly they're in Moncton in January because they were nominated and they got some buzz. So the first one we actually saw was uh, Selma, was the first. And I realized this, this like, it's a, 25, it's a 2014 picture, but by the time it came out here. Right. right, uh, right. Yeah. So Selma, um, the Martin Luther King story, basically, um, or, or that particular, I, I thought it was really interesting in the sense that I work with advocacy groups with uh, student advocacy groups and um, all the behind the scenes of that, of how you organize a uh, a demonstration. Um, Obviously, we're never in any kind of um, situation like Selma's, obviously. But um, still, that that sort of stokes your fires if you're working with those kinds of of groups. Um, So it was something that I was you know, pretty much recommending to people I work with. Uh, obviously, nobody followed my recommendation. But <laughs> it hardly ever happens. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, a well-made film, I thought. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't have any more comments than that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it was a good film. I thought it was a good film, and it wasn't too respectful, uh, nor was it, uh, you know, it it, it it was balanced as far as the portrayal was. Right, right. It's not, a, it's certainly pro Martin Luther King, although I don't know how you could be anti, but it yes. also, it's not, he's not a stone edifice either. He's a real person, that kind of thing. Right. It shows his flaws as well as his, um, as his qualities. Yeah, I wanted to see it. I just never got around to it. And uh, it's one of those ones that's uh, on, a, on a pile of uh, li- a big list of movies I want to watch on, on Home Man when I get the chance. So um, there was a couple other things you saw that sort of were 2014 films that spilled over. What were those? Uh, Inherent Vice was one of them. Uh, the um, the uh, P.T. Anderson film based on the Thomas Pynchon book. A really strange, surreal kind of film that will frustrate, I think, many audiences. It did for uh, me. <laughs> you saw it the yeah, year before? Yeah, I did, I did yeah. see it, yeah. 
but uh, so funny. I mean, for me, it was like, um, it's a, it, it was as if Joaquin Phoenix was playing the dude from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> right. A sort of accidental uh, detec- detective uh, who just stumbled onto the, the, the clues and the mystery. So it's like he had no real agency, but that was part of the joke. Um, you know, or just the... Um, there were scenes in there. I mean, as a film, it was kind of unhinged, but I think that's part of the style. If you've ever read Pynchon um, or attempted to, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> kind of more, where there's I'm more at. of one group than there is the other group. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so it, it, it was kind of a strange film for that. But the the set pieces, the, there are different set pieces that you know really uh, were quite memorable. Um, so we were laughing, and then the rest of the theater was kind of going to the bathroom. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was that kind of experience, but you know, per- perfect for for the kind of thing I like. And P.T. Anderson is one of my favorite directors, whether I like the films or not. You know, I like his work. Yeah, uh, me directorially. Too. Yeah, I mean, I, even when I find his films impenetrable, which I sort of did with Inherent Vice, uh, they're always interesting and. Uh, Inherent Vice does feature one of the biggest laughs I had all year when he looks at that Polaroid that we don't see. <laughs> that, that when he just <laughs> like I laughed out loud so hard on that. Um, it sort of reminds you. You're, you're mentioning of people's reaction in the theater reminds me of many years ago when I went. Me and a buddy went to go see Punch Drunk Love, and clearly half the audience were Adam Sandler fans, the more <laughs> traditional Adam Sandler audience, and you could just see them start to file out. As the film wore on, and by the time we got and that film's only about ninety minutes. It's, it's. I think it's the shortest movie by but, far. Yeah. By the time we got to about the, I think an hour mark, we were some of the only people left in the theater because people were expecting John Turturro and Steve Buscemi to show up and Rob Schneider. You can do it, and when none of that happened, people were just like, "What the hell is this?" And I thought, "Good on Adam Sandler for trying something so different." But it different and yet the same because it's still an Adam Sandler movie where he's a man child who gets angry. I yeah, mean, it's, yep. it's like what if what if an Adam Sandler movie was an art picture? <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, it's awesome, but yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it turned out some audience. I, I've got some d- during the uh, the show. I'll have some stories about audiences. <laughs> uh, our relation. I say our because I always go with a group, uh, and our relationship with audiences is sometimes bizarre and adds something or subtracts something to the experience. So it it always features. It always kind of features. And then the other film I saw from the year before was Birdman. And I don't. I, I can't say the the whole the whole title. Right, right, right. <laughs> I remember. Never remember it. But uh, yeah, Birdman, which was the um, uh, the uh, Michael Keaton Michael Keaton's third Batman film. Yeah. Yes, that's right. What did you think uh, of it? I, I found it again as another one of those like I found it a little tough to warm up to. I loved it. Okay. I re- I really did. But I think the there, there was the. Um, I mean the superhero, the superhero element, uh, the some sort of postmodern superhero movie thing, uh, was only part of the reason. And uh, I, I think it was some people thought it might, might have been it was sort of a trick, where it just seems like a one continuous shot, and that would be the, you know, that's just the the, the trick of it, uh, the, the the fanciness. It's just it's just fancy to be fancy, but uh, in actuality, I thought it was like it really related to. What was happening because we we get a an actor working in the theater, they're doing a play, and so the continuousness of it, the idea that 
um, you're as an actor, you're doing a long piece of work, and which would be true in, in theater, and you're only doing little seconds or minutes on film, uh, it, it sort of translated that experience to us, the, the real act, working actor in theater experience, uh, in addition to doing everything else it does. So, uh, no, I thought it was brilliant, and I saw it with some, I know quite a few um, theater actors, uh, because I work in improv, so... Uh, just naturally Venn diagram uh, <laughs> kind of thing. But um, so it, it's, it was very true to what I know of that world. Uh, so it, it worked on many, many levels for me. I thought Keaton was terrific. I mean, oh. he, my, my problems with whatever the movie, I thought Keaton was great in it. I was disappointed he didn't win Best Actor uh, that year. I mean, I didn't see the other movie, the, the one that Eddie Redmayne won for, but I, you know, I was just pulling for Michael Keaton because he's Michael Keaton. You know, I'm just happy to see him in movies again as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had another amazing performance this year. We'll get to it. Yes, he did. Uh, I went on a whole run of seeing older films. Uh, I guess it was a low time for me in terms of seeing new things. Uh, all in a row, I saw Funny Girl, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Giant, Charade, Sunset Boulevard, The Seven-Year Itch, Rear Window, and Gigi. Um Rear Window was one of my all-time favorite films. Anybody who's seen the icon for the show can know that. Um, yep. Sunset Boulevard is, of course, a classic. I mean, all these are, are classics. Giant uh, was over three hours. I took my nephew to that, and he he's he's pretty good. He's pretty um, for for a seventeen-year-old. He's pretty tolerant of slow-moving stories. But even Giant started to wear wear him out a little, <laughs> and it wore, wore me out a little too. Um, the Seven Year Rich was a rev- revelation. I'd never seen it before. I mean, it's it's regarded as a classic because it's so famous. That shot of Marilyn Monroe with her her dress blowing up is one of like right. pretty much symbolizes the fifties. But it's a terrible movie. It's a <laughs> terrible movie. It's not funny. The lead actor Tom Yule is creepy. He's not at all charming. I mean, it's a sex comedy without the sex. Because they couldn't get into any of that stuff. And not necessarily, you know, if you made it today, there would be no restrictions on, on making it. But it just didn't work. And, and both him and I just sort of stared at each other like, this movie's just not funny. And Marilyn Monroe's terrific in it. And she, you know, you see why she became such an icon. But, oof. Uh, and, and, you know, it's Billy Wilder who you normally you can't lose with him. But, boy, yeah. I, I just, this, this is one of those movies that it's like, it's famous because Marilyn Monroe was in it in her prime. But if this movie had starred anybody else, it, it probably would have been be a forgotten film. I, I think it was just such a lousy, you know, just kind of movie. And even Billy Wilder admitted it doesn't work. So uh, <laughs> it's just not – I was glad that I saw it because I would never seen it and to see it on the big screen. But, yeah, that was uh, not really worth doing. Rear Window, though, I never get tired of Rear Window. Never get I, tired of that. I actually saw it for the first time um, this year, Rear Window. Wow. Like many of these films, because one of the things, one of the reasons I, I, I saw, uh, you know, more than 100 films this year was that I gave myself a few challenges or a few lists to get through. One of which was to see a lot of films, uh, it was 50 films that everyone had seen and liked, and I hadn't yet. Mm. You know, including films that I, I'd said, well, I'd never want to see this. This is not something I'm interested in at all. I know people like it, but I don't care about it. I, I still watch those films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like all the Harry Potters and that kind of thing. So, uh, but uh, Rear Window was in that as well as um, I had a box set of um, Hitchcock's films that I hadn't seen. So uh, I was going to get through that one way or the other. So Rear Window is an impeccable film. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that same stretch, I saw uh, Charade. 
um, was one of the films I saw this this month, which was you know unrelated to the to the the other list, but still I saw Charade this, Hitch, this Hitchcock month. Hitchcock without the Hitchcock. Yeah, it's, it's a Hitchcock comedy kind of, yeah. kind of thing. But um, yeah, and Breakfast at Tiffany's I, I've seen earlier, uh, just like in the past two years. A lot of these older films are things that I've, I've missed or haven't seen, you know, run on TV or anything. Uh, but I'm making a point of discovering them now before it's too late. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, no, but... <laughs> so there's, now there's another movie next to my list. is something that's on your list, too. So why don't you go ahead and do the other ones before we get, we get to the, the joint one? Before I saw the joint one, um, I saw, let's see, four films before that in theaters. Uh, so Paddington was one of them. <laughs> um, I, I saw a number of kids' movies this year, or animated, or this one is partly animated, and the bear is animated. Uh, and it's not my genre, so I, I would never go see those, those things you know, from my own uh, on, on my own. So I, I went with people who wanted to see these things, but um, I, I was you know, overwhelmingly positive about each of these. So Paddington was the, the first in, in the year. I, I don't have any connection to the, um, the old cartoon show, mm. whatever it was, uh, or the teddy bear, anything like that. But um, it's got a great performance by Colin Firth. It's, um, uh, or I think it's Colin Firth. I hope I'm, I'm not mistaking the, the Englishman there. But Odds are it's Colin Firth. Yeah, odds are. But it's, it's the kind of movie that, uh, although it's got like a Cruella de Vil kind of villain, uh, it still has, you know, it's it's nice for the kids, but it's got a lot of jokes just for adults. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is now on my DVD shelf. You know, wow. It's, it's, yeah, it's that kind of thing. People aren't going to go see uh, Paddington because they think it's a kid's thing. I beg to differ. I mean, it's it's got something in there that's family-oriented, but... Um, Nice for everyone. Then I saw uh, Kingsman, the Secret, <laughs> Secret Service. That's a great double feature: Paddington and Kingsman, the Secret Service. Also, Colin Firth. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I think that this is pretty much divorced from the Mark Miller comic as much as possible, uh, but it's still got that Mark Millery feel to it, where you know bathroom humor and whatnot, uh, and you know explosive violence, but as a sort of Bond spoof. It was really kind of fun and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's probably the reason uh, in the show, uh, in the show, I mean, in the, in the film, um, the, the secret service they work for work out of a tailor shop, just like Man From U.N.C.L.E., the TV, the TV show. And I think that's probably the reason why the Man From U.N.C.L.E. film, which I'll talk about later, doesn't have that front, oh, that tailor's front. Okay. Because, uh, see, Kingsman sort of, was paying a uh, tribute to to that show, and then right. when the show had a movie, well, it it had been done already. I saw a lot of spy movies this year. There's so many that came out in theaters, and then I watched a lot more than that. You know, just at home, it's that a spy kind of uh, of year because Bond was coming out. Right. Is Mark Hamill in Kingsman? Because he's in the comic book as a character. No, he's not. Oh, he's not. I thought he was. I don't think so. Mark Hamill? No. Yeah. I'd have to check. I thought, I thought that, was, that was like part of the angle. Is that like somebody wants to kidnap Mark Hamill or something in the comic book? Uh, uh, <laughs> let me check. <laughs> I'm, check. I'm checking. I'm, I'm checking. It's, it's been a while. This was February. So um, is Mark Hamill in this film? 
Because, I mean... Oh, yeah, he is. Okay. There you oh, go. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, he's not Mark Hamill. He's, he's playing a Professor Arnold. Right, but he's in the movie, okay. right? Okay. okay. Yeah, in the movie. What are the odds it, that you or anyone would see two Mark Hamill movies in one year? Mm. <laughs> True. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not as, uh, as common as we'd like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, so there, there was that. And then, uh, what was next? I saw The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. <laughs> I mean, You're a man of diverse tastes. I, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't discriminate. You know, all genres can have good films. I do discriminate when I know the movie's going to be bad. I usually you know, make a point of not seeing it. Right. But I liked the first Exotic Marigold Hotel. This one was uh, uh, funnier. I mean, the first one is probably still the, the better one in, because it sets up the characters and all that. But this one, everybody's still back in India. Uh, they add Richard Gere to the cast, which I thought would be uh, you know, terrible. But uh, it actually works. Uh, he didn't annoy me or anything. Uh, there's a Bollywood number in there. I mean, it, it's just, let's take, the, let's take that, that baby boomer movie and then just crank up the entertainment on it. Uh, so I thought it was like an enjoyable time at at the theater, and then we're in April, and I went to see Furious Seven, which I was not a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, the uh, I saw the first one, uh, and it was, you know, frankly terrible. Yeah, I saw the first one and never had any interest in seeing any of the other ones. Even right. though I've heard them that they get better, I'm just like I'm not a car well, that's guy. What, so that's I'm what like, they like, say, right? They say, oh, it, it's it's uh, it gets better around the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see the problem with that? <laughs> it only no, no, took five films for them to get good. Yeah, and, and now I have to watch, you know, four terrible films just to get to, to that point. And, and people just went, no, oh, no, you just start with the fifth one. Mm-hmm. So I did watch the fifth one and the sixth one, which are, by that time, no, they're not racing movies anymore. They're like... Right, they're like heist, crime, yeah. spy movies almost. Crazy uh, action type stuff you don't take seriously. So... And seven was that too, and then um, you know, obviously there was the tragedy right. of Paul Walker dying uh, while making the film, and it's part of the story in a sense, uh, where they're already grieving for another member of the team who was actually written to die, to have to have died. So there's a funereal fear, fear feel to it. Um, so you know, it's it's like. All the way through, you're kind of feeling it. You know an actor died, and everybody's feeling sad about a different character. And Paul Walker's actually on screen, and you know they managed to keep him active throughout the film, even though in some places, you know, it was a stand-in or his brother doing the work. Or uh, so it's strange in that way. But I mean, it's the same. It's like the, still the best of the franchise, where it's just crazy action, caper type stuff. There's more. Um, uh, there's more martial arts to it. Sort of Tony Jaa's kind of wasted in it, but you know it's the same kind of formula, the, the sort of Expendables formula. We just throw in a lot of uh, badass action stars together, and you know see what comes out. Hmm. Yeah, uh, and then it's the movie we saw. Yes, and that is the horror film It Follows, uh, which I had no, I didn't hear anything about. I know had no news of this film. Uh, until it was out, and then I saw all the reviews, and people just said, "Go see this movie if you like old school horror that's not things jumping out at you. Uh, go see this movie." And I just, I took my nephew. I was like, "You know what? I know nothing about this movie. I don't even really know the plot. 
I don't know any of the I don't know the director, the stars, there's no stars in it. Let's just go. And I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was like a John Carpenter movie or you know at his best. I really thought it was creepy and odd and and strange and it seems to live in this uh, netherworld where it, it I guess it's 2015 but not really cuz nobody has cell phone. I mean somebody seems to have a cell phone but they're uh, they're all these teenagers there never seem to be any parents around. I I really thought it was a not only a great horror movie, a great movie, and I am on board with this director. I'm willing to, you know, I'm he his previous film was, was a comedy, uh, not a comedy, but like sort of a coming of age drama. Nothing that you would think he would, you know, not a horror guy. Um, David Robert Mitchell is his name, and I'm I'm excited to see what he does next because he seems like a supremely talented guy. Yeah, we came across it because uh, you know Marty from the Lonely Hearts podcast. Uh, Marty's a horror. Uh, I, I don't want to say fan. I want to say expert. Uh, he, he's seen, you know, thousands of films uh, in the, in the genre, so he knows what he knows what's going to be interesting. He follows that kind of stuff, so he knew he wanted to see this. Um, I think he'd been talking about it for like a year. So, so we did go see it, and uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's sort of a Doctor Who kind of plot where the something innocuous, something in everyday life is actually the scary thing. Hmm. So that when you walk out, that monster is out there. That monster is there for you if, if uh, you've got an overactive imagination. You know, it's, the, it's, like, the, it's like the Doctor Who's uh, statues there, the uh, Weeping Angels. Oh, the right? Weeping the Angels, right, right, right. right. The, 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 you know, it's just statues, and then after that, you're kind of creeped out by any statue you see because you make that connection. Right. Well... Anyone that's following behind you or that's coming in your direction becomes the the it, yeah, the it, the it that follows. Um, so I know a lot of the the girls we hang out with were kind of you know freaked out for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mark of a good horror movie. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. It's like it's like a weird. You're like in a nostalgia universe where even their house is in orange and brown tones, like it's very seventies. Uh, the kind of the kind of look. It's like it's like the, the movie's a tribute to a filmmaking of a certain era, and then so all the the modern trappings aren't really there. But that, at the same time, you know, there's the girl with the uh, it's like a fancy iPad we we don't have. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it really does exist in its own little weird universe. Yeah, I, I really like that. It was like it's like, and a lot of a lot of, a lot of the time, the their memories were brought up. There was a lot of talk about, you know, the parents that were missing, things that happened in their past, their their past connections, and it's it's a little bit about, you know, it's the past coming back to haunt you. So it's they've also got a past inside the story that haunts them in some way. So thematically, it's got layers to it. Yeah, it's it's terrific. If you if anybody likes good horror movies and. It, Go see it. And it is genuinely scary. It does feature a lot of scare moments. Uh, it's got a grabber of an opening and then a very unsettling end. And, I, you know, that's what you want out of a horror movie. So oh, yeah. um, I went and saw Casablanca on the big screen. I was not going to pass up that opportunity. Uh, surprise, surprise. Good movie. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and then the uh, the next movie I saw that was new was Ex Machina, which uh, I know, Cisco, and you all also saw. I'm not going to say too much about it just because I already covered it on this yep. show. And, in fact, it was that movie that 
started this show in the first place because I really wanted to talk about that movie. I thought it was terrific. Again, Oscar Isaac. And I just had no sort of outlet in which to talk about it. I didn't want to sort of derail the Fire and Water podcast for that. So uh, so thanks to Ex Machina. If you enjoy this show, uh, you have to thank uh, have to thank uh, Alex Garland's Ex Machina for, for it because uh, I like that movie so much and I wanted to talk about it. Well, it's one of the things that I love about films and going to see films with people and why I watch a lot of those films I say I watch at home, I watch with other people. You know, we've, we have a uh, every Friday is movie night uh, here at home and every Tuesday is movie night at the theater. Wow. Because it's about, it's about sharing those moments and also the discussions that come afterwards. I, I love film theory. I love uh, to discuss films in a literary sense which is my background because I was an English major. Uh, but, you know, that, that kind of let's talk about it afterwards, that's what makes movies special for me. And Ex Machina was totally that kind of film where we came out, and um, I'm going to reference Marty again because he's always the guy that comes at these films from an odd angle. So he'll say, he'll, he'll say the thing that really is the key to the film. I think so, and usually makes us think even more. So, if you choose your your film buddies well, you know you can have really more interesting experiences at the theater than you might have normally. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it, it. Ex Machina is the kind of movie that that tells a very satisfying story, and then I'm not going to say how it ends, but it ends at a point where I would want to see it keep going. Like if if they decided to do an Ex Machina two picking up where the first one ends, I would be totally on board with that because it, it has that kind of ending. Uh, there are a lot of movies I see that, that that feel like they are running on fumes at the last couple of minutes. They sort of exhausted their premise. But Ex Machina feels like it's gotten more premise than it knows what to do with, kind of. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I saw, um, what's that movie? The, the Oh, shoot, Pacific Rim. Sure. And I remember thinking, like, I didn't like Pacific Rim all that much. I thought, like, there just wasn't a whole lot there. And then I heard that they were going to do a sequel. And I thought, where is there – what? I feel like they didn't even make enough out of – there wasn't enough to make a first film. How are they going to make a second? But Ex Machina just feels like, wow, you could pick up on this and just keep going. And uh, I thought that was – the and all the performances are great. And it features two Star Wars actors, Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac. Yeah, uh, I have to think. You know, did they talk about it off the? You know, like, yeah, did you just sign that contract? Oh yeah, did you read the script? <laughs> you know, they, like they must have could be commiserating about what they were about to step into. Yeah, uh, because Ex Machina is like an indie film. It's got all those effects, but it, I mean, it's really an indie film. It's a mm-hmm. talky exploration, you know, scientific exploration kind of film. Um, and there they were going to go, or had already gone, or I, I don't know where this falls in the timeline, but, you know, they were also going to work on this, this huge <laughs> the biggest blockbuster the big, thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but Axe Mechina is, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, you covered it, and I, I put uh, my responses on there on, on the blog uh, because that also made me want, you know, exactly. You, you were discussing it, and I went, well, what about all this stuff? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, terrific movie. Uh, uh, I went and saw Tootsie, the classic 
Tootsie. Uh, again, sure. another took my nephew to it, and he really enjoyed it. Really, we had a good time. And uh, that is one of those, like, a perfect comedy. And it's not necessarily something you need to see on the big screen, but it was a lot of fun, and the audience really had a good time. And, uh, you know, anytime uh, Bill Murray is in a movie other than Rock the Casbah, I'm willing to go see it on the big screen. So um, next up for both of us, the big summer movie. Is this good? Avengers Age of Ultron. There you go. <laughs> hey, Age of Ultron. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I sort of have, have, a, uh, have a hard time remembering it now. You know, it's... Uh, it's that kind of film <laughs> mm. where I thought it was good while I was there. And then, you know, coming home and say, yeah, it's still, it's good. I mean, the whole, the whole Marvel cinematic universe hasn't really, you know, put a, a wrong step forward, really. Mm-hmm. Some of the films uh, are, are lesser than others, but they're always entertaining. They've always got a good uh, sense of humor to them, which is what I'm missing from, other superhero type things. <laughs> hmm. So, you, you know, even the Thor movies, which are clearly inferior in terms of plot, um, still, still have a lot of humor to them. You know, maybe the balance is even off. It's too humorous. But if I'm laughing, if, I, if I'm having fun, then, you know, it's a good time. Whereas if the balance is off and it's depressing, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not going to be a good memory. Um, but uh, yeah, Avengers: Age of Ultron. I mean, there was the whole this whole the, the hoopla around uh, the, the Black Widow thing, the Black Widow um, controversy. Remember that? Which controversy? There was a couple. Uh, well, yeah, there was the toy one, obviously. The toy but, one, yeah. Uh, yeah, the toy one, but um, which is now the Ray controversy. Right. But um, yeah, uh, no, the the controversy about the whole thing where uh, she. Uh, we find out she can't have children, right? Right, so, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah. and then she's comparing herself to a monster because she can't she can't have children. She's comparing herself to the, to a monster in the same scene, and then somebody went haywire about it, meaning that uh, you know the portrayal of a woman that doesn't have children, can't have children, doesn't want children, whatever it is, uh, being portrayed as either an ideal, which is uh, heinous to some people, or uh, being um, you know, monstrous in that sense. I mean, I, I, I had to write a defense of it on the blog in, because I thought it was completely, you know, taking, taking the characters out of context, the words out of context. But there was a controversy about this. It was a big year for uh, gender issues in general as far as creating, uh, creating controversy around that. It yeah. wasn't just Avengers. It was, you know... Uh, we're going to we're going to talk about Mad Max later. That uh, obviously there was a big um, gender politics kind of thing to it, uh, but and even Ex Machina, which can be seen as a fable about sexual slavery or about uh, women as objects. So a, a lot of that came up during the year. I think it was one of the big themes of the year as far as movie production. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I saw. I saw. I ended up seeing Ultron three times. Not because I really meant to. Uh, it just sort of like I promised I'd see it with this person, and then we went and saw it with this person, and then it was part of our um, summer work trip. We see like movies like twice a year. Everybody in the office, so I went and saw it, and I actually kind of liked it more than I liked the previous Avengers. But I, and I mentioned this on Fire and Water. None of the, hardly any of the Marvel movies make me feel anything. I enjoy them. They're fun. Uh, and they're diversions, but I forget about them the minute I walk out of the theater, and they don't stick with me at all. And that's why I'm looking forward to the sort of 
B characters a little. Like next year is going to be Doctor Strange and they're going to do Black Panther. I'm thinking they're going to maybe take a little more risk with some of those characters. And those are the ones I'm really looking forward to. And I like the Age of Ultron just fine. But I just, I, you know, I don't. I didn't think about it one whit after I left the theater. I liked the idea of the Vision. I thought that was pretty cool that they worked him into it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, they just don't make me feel very much. And, and you know, they're not bad. They're just... I just kind of like, okay, I saw it. I never, like, I never have any interest in seeing them ever again, any of them ever again after I've seen them in the theater. Even the really good ones, like the cat movies, which are my favorite ones. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is the only one I've ever seen more than a couple times on purpose and the only one that I own. So, yeah, I I, I see them later on DVD and, you know, still enjoy them. Uh, You know, I think they're fun. This time around, Age of Ultron was a a bit bloated in, in the sense that it had a lot of, uh, a lot of exposition about those damn Infinity Stones, mm-hmm. and I, I don't care about that. I mean, <laughs> you know, it doesn't need to be set up in every film. I, I you know, I, maybe because I Infinity Gauntlet was not a comic series that I collected, read, or cared yeah, about. Yeah, right. I, yeah, me too. But um, but there's an awful lot of that. Whereas they could have spent the time, I don't know, kind of you know, propping up Ultron's motivations. I mean, he, he doesn't need to be more than a murder bot with an Oedipus complex, but still, uh, it seemed like his scheme came out of nowhere. It didn't really mm-hmm. make sense. Uh, and I think they could, have, they could have done more with it if, if they didn't have to go through you know, Thor's visions or whatever. I'm right, just remembering, right. this, remembering this now. I mean, it's, you know, I haven't thought of it since, uh, <laughs> it's since May. Saw but, it. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but it was fine. I mean, it's it's a good franchise, and like you, the Captain America movies are my favorite. Yep. If if we're gonna take uh, one of the characters, but um, you know, so I, I look forward to Civil War. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which absolutely. Is, which is not something I said about the comic series. Yes, me too. Yeah, I know. I've never read any of the comics, but the movie looks pretty good. And the said Black Panther, I'm a big fan of. So. Uh, older wise, I kept seeing. I saw Big Trouble in Little China and the Blues Brothers, two films that I grew up on. The cable staples. Got to take my nephew to both of those. He really enjoyed Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> That's such a wonderfully strange movie. Uh, I it was terrific. And Kurt, I saw two Kurt Russell movies this year. That's always that's always a fun thing. And then the next big tentpole thing was uh, Mad Max Fury Road. There you go. Yeah, Mad Max. Well, that that was one where um, the Mennonites, or <laughs> I don't know what, the, whatever the um, the men's movement cried foul uh, because it wasn't Max's movie. Uh, obviously, it's ridiculous. Um, a, a really good action. I mean, it's an action flick that, that you know, it's high octane, uh, literally. <laughs> it's literally high octane. I mean, it it just starts and ne- you know never uh, never stops. Uh, so a great action movie. It's a great action movie, and kind of you know it's kind of loopy and uh, it's got that the real Mad Max vibe where anything can happen. Really, it's you know it's what's happening outside the Mega City One, if you will, if you're mm-hmm. a Judge Dread fan. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's it's that kind of thing. And yeah, I guess Mad Max is Max is slumming it in his own film. He's sort of the cipher who comes across something that's happening and then we see the story more or less through his eyes, but the real hero of the story is Furiosa, right. played, played by Charlize Theron, um, and who totally can, can carry the movie. It's not a problem at all. I mean, Max is sort of a, he's a grunter. He's not a talker. 
So she's much more engaging as a character uh, in any case. Yeah, but, his, uh, the, uh, his thumbs up to her is probably the most expressive thing he gets to do in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a nice film. I had uh, had a good time. Now that they're talking about, you know, the, the buzz is that it will be nominated for Oscars. Um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I mean, is it really the, the, the kind of, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it can be, but it's an odd film to think about as an Oscar-nominated picture. Mm-hmm. I, I think part of it is people were just impressed that somebody of George Miller's age could make such a balls out high octane again high octane movie. I mean that that is movie directing is a young man's game. Let alone something as physically grueling as as it appeared, uh, you know, that Mad Max to be. And here's a 73 year old guy out there in the you know, where is he like Namibia or something out in the desert making this movie. It just seems like. It, I think nobody expected it to be this good, and I think they just kind of want to reward George Miller for sticking through it and producing that kind of film. So, uh, not, not that the film doesn't necessarily deserve it, but I think a lot of that is a, an affection for George Miller, just admiring what he accomplished. Right. Um, so you saw a bunch of other smaller films that I have not seen. So what? Uh, well, and one bigger one, but what, what were those? Let me see. I saw, then I saw I saw Slow West, which is a small indie picture. A um, it's a it's one of those lyrical westerns, a bit like uh, Dead Man, um, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, here. the uh, Johnny Depp film. The, the Johnny Depp film by um, um, Jarmusch, yeah. Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch. And so it's kind of like that, just a minor flick, but um, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, kind of a kid that it's, – it's about a city kid who – well, city kid. I mean, I, no, that's not true. It's it's about <laughs> it's about a Scottish kid who comes to America to find uh, his well, the love of his life, who has run away because of some misunderstanding uh, up in Scotland, and so it takes place in the West. And anyways, it's I, I don't want to talk about it too much because it was a very minor piece, uh, but um, still interesting. Not for everyone. Then I saw, well, here again, a sort of feminist picture, Far From the Madding Crowd, uh, with um, Carrie Mulligan. It's the Thomas Hardy um, novel about a woman who refuses to get married. She has several choices. When she does get married, it kind of snuffs the, the flame of uh, who she is, because women who are married in that period... Uh, basically just decide to void themselves. So it, it's a feminist picture in that sense, and a lot of people thought Hardy, back in the day, when the novel came out, people thought Hardy was a woman. It was a pen name or something. Oh, I never knew uh, that. Yeah, but no, he, he, and no, he, was, uh, he was a really a country boy, so it takes place in the country, and uh, he was an amateur, so the, the, the I'm going to say the film, but the, the book is really out there in, in the goth, sometimes it goes gothic, sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it, he doesn't really know what the genre should be, uh, which gives the, the book its energy. The picture is a lot you know, more straight than that, but um, uh, this was one of those pictures where the crowd had a, a certain effect. Um, I was, um, you know, I hang, out with, I hang out with 20-somethings, basically, but I'm, I'm 44. So, in that theater, the theater was pretty full. I was the fourth youngest person there. So, <laughs> you know, it was one of those, I thought, I think there was like a, 
a bus came in from an old folks' home. I mean, it, there was there's there people helping people to get the seats. And, okay. Okay. Uh, so it was really, uh, you know, I was the, we were only we were the only ones who uh, hadn't paid a seniors' discount. It was pretty much that, uh, and obviously nothing against uh, older people. <laughs> I'm getting there myself, but it was one of those. I mean, it's called far from the matting crowd, and the, that it, matting doesn't mean maddening. But we started calling any uh, theater crowd that was uh, kind of strangely rowdy a matting crowd. <laughs> <laughs> the people talking out of you know people explaining the picture to one another real loud. There was a woman who opened uh, you know was opening bags of chips. There's squeak, 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 <laughs> and brought her own bag of chips. And then she would open several bags of chips. I mean, it was, it, it, you know, laughing at the wrong spots. Or uh, there was a guy, or an old, an older man, applauding a death. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so it was hard to. The, the picture is good. It was hard to concentrate on it because of all the the people around us. And then it just reminded me how times have changed or generations have changed uh, in the sense that I remember going to the movies and seeing like a lot of teenagers and going, oh, damn it. Right, right, right. This picture is going to be full of pukes uh, who aren't listening. That's what we call them. The pukes weren't going to listen. They were, you know, they were going to be uh, noisy. Uh, but no, uh, usually now when it's, there, there are teenagers there, um, Maybe movies cost more, and you know, only only the real, <laughs> only real cinephiles go to the to spend their allowance. But it's the older people who are out of control. <laughs> you know, same thing happened for spotlights. You can imagine. You know, it's that kind of. <laughs> oh, you know, the real lesson. Used. The real lesson here <laughs> is up. everyone is awful. That's the real <laughs> lesson to take from this. <laughs> oh man. So that was far from the matting crowd. Uh, then I saw Tomorrowland, which I thought was, you know, kind of a kid's picture without enough depth for me. Mm -hmm. It had something interesting to say about how all our all our science fiction today is very dystopian. Right, right. And this was, the Tomorrowland was supposed to be a utopia, but it was also a dystopia. So it, what it had to say wasn't much, um, you know. So I thought it was ordinary, like nice image making, but not much more than that. Forgettable. Uh, Spy was next for me, which I loved. Hmm. Um, it was, you know, we're going to get to Bond, and Bond is going to be a disappointment <laughs> because a lot of these, a lot of these uh, movies, spy movies that came before, were actually better takes on, you know, they were riffing on on the James Bond formula or with, uh, you know, super, super criminals, uh, that kind of thing, mastermind criminals. Uh, but in, you know, Spy looked, in the trailers, Spy looked terrible. Mm -hmm. Spy was this... It looked like uh, Fatty Falls Down. That's really right. kind of what it looked like, yeah. And that's not what it is at all. I mean, it's badly marketed uh, because really the film is about a super competent uh, agent, CIA agent, and she, but she's been, she's relegated herself to the desk job because she doesn't see herself in that role, even though she scored off the charts at the uh, the farm. So, for some reason, I, I don't want to get into it, but for some reason, she goes out into the field. She's the only one that hasn't been burned. So she has to go into the field, and she's surprised at her own 
uh, abilities, really, because she's just the, the way she's seen herself up to that, that time. So it's, it's not like a bumbling idiot who accidentally wins the day or anything. She actually is very competent, and mm -hmm. she's... Um, but other people are, are always under um, undervaluing uh, her or, uh, you know, underestimating her hmm. because of her look. She's, you know, she just doesn't have the look that we expect from super spies, but she does exist in a world of super spies. And freaking Jason Statham is so damn funny in this thing where he's sort of playing an, amal an, an amalgamation of every role he's ever played before in action pictures. He's like he's like the guy from Crank inside this movie, <laughs> Chris Chelios or whatever it is. So it's he's he's very much he's insane. He's he's the guy who's done it all, and he lives in an action movie. But everybody else is living in a world that's a little closer to to reality, and just going. You know, it, it's like they put Melissa McCarthy was a comedy person in a film with people who are obviously in a super spy James Bond kind of film with Statham who is in this high octane fast and furious transporter kind of film mm -hmm. and they all live in the same film and okay. a lot of the comedy comes out of that hmm. right. it's a movie I've watched again so it's you know not in theaters because I don't do that right but, interesting but, it seems yeah. to bodes well for Ghostbusters then I think that Paul Feig is you know, it's maybe like a better movie than you would think. Yeah, I'm stoked so, for it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a couple of older films uh, before we get to our next movie, which is I saw Full Metal Jacket. Uh, that was a double feature. We saw, me and my nephew saw that the same day as uh, Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, was, that was a manliest thing I've ever done. We went and saw Goldfinger. That was, of course, a lot of fun. I would go. I wish they re-release all the James Bond movies. Well, maybe not. The, not the, all. Maybe Pierce Brosnan ones. But uh, I wish they would, you know, they tend to just re-release Goldfinger, you know, or like, or, you know, one of the other ones. They never re-release, you know, The Spy Who Loved Me. I'd go see all those. Yeah, that's um, one of the better ones. Yeah, uh, The Terminator. I went and saw The Terminator again. That was that was fun. And then Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> hated Jurassic World. And in fact, had I not been taking somebody to the movie, I took my father because he wanted to see it, and my mother's reaction was, of course, I'm not seeing a movie with dinosaurs in it. Um, I That's the least of its problems. Yeah, I would have walked out. I would have. I hated Jurassic World, and the fact that the director, Colin Trevorrow, is doing Episode Nine of Star Wars is the only piece of Star Wars news they have released that I'm not on board with, because I'm scared that a guy... Now, I don't know. I haven't seen his other movies, Safety Not Guaranteed. I've heard that's a very good movie. Um... But I, I just thought Jurassic World was bad from start to finish. And I, you know, that's partly the director's fault. And it scares me that he is going to be in charge of what might be the concluding chapter of this next trilogy. Because I just thought Jurassic World was just terrible in every way. It's the worst film I saw in theaters this year. There you go. Easily. Or actually, the only really bad one. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so... It's the tone of it. it. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of problems to it, but the damn tone where, you know, it's always, it's like when somebody dies, it's always sort of extended beyond any real purpose. So let's just watch a dinosaur die a slow death, you know, a sweet, one of those sweeter dinosaurs. And then you watch a dinosaur die for like two minutes and it doesn't stop. And then in the next scene or the next sequence, 
you'll have that intern who's just, you know, her only crime was not keeping up with the kids. Yeah, we watch her basically get torn apart across like a, like a two-minute sequence. Yeah, and yeah. again, yeah, she for goes laughs. mouth to and mouth. it's done for, for laughs. And I did not, I was not laughing. I, was, yeah. I thought, you know, what is this? And then by the time the bad guy dies, spoiler, by the time the bad guy dies, it's just, he's just like a streak of blood on the wall. That's all, that's all you see. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't know how to satisfy us in any meaningful way. And at the same time, it's just running through the, the plot of the, the original one, which was in, in a way, you know, almost as bad because the first one was when you're sitting in a theater and you're watching the, the T-Rex sequence, you know, the sequences are well made in the first one. But, uh, and so, you know, you're terrified. There's a dinosaur on the screen. It's as big as life. When you get out of the theater, you just go, yeah, that sort of ended in a deus ex machina, didn't it? And then you're just finding all the plot holes. This was the same, except I, it didn't take me, I, I didn't need to get out of the theater for it all to dawn on me. It was, you know, simultaneous, so simultaneous with the experience. Just awful. Yeah, yeah. It was just, and the fact that it made so much money just made me really depressed. <laughs> it's just like when people are so not choosy. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? Let's just move on. I don't even want to spend yeah. some more time. It's a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, so what was your next movie? Inside Out was the, the, my next one. The Pixar film about feelings that have feelings. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, quite wonderful. Uh, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you're inside a little girl's head and her different emotions have, are people uh, who have interactions. And then you're, so it's very, very sweet, but it's also full of uh, jokes uh, that uh, psychology majors will enjoy. <laughs> I think they have that on the poster. <laughs> Do they? Uh, they should because it's you know it's a kind of, again it's a kids movie that will work very well with kids, uh, but be a charm for their parents or for me who has no kids. Uh, it was still great. The humor was still good. The characters were still great. The animation's obviously uh, perfect. Uh, and this is a you know and then it it doesn't once it ends. All the little sequences inside the um, the credits are still good. You're seeing inside other people's heads, mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's like a joke a minute uh, or a second. Uh, so a very good, uh, one of the better Pixar movies ever. I'm I think sure. people were waiting for Pixar, I think, to come back to form after like this sort of series of sequels. Although I heard Toy Story three was very good, but was, uh, yeah. I think people were like they were dying to see an original. Pixar movie that recaptured, you know, the feeling people had with Up and Wally -E and all the other ones. So I didn't get to see it. I wanted to, but it, every, everything I've heard about is that it was very good. Yeah. Oh no, it's got it's got heart. It's got yeah. a lot of heart. Uh, I went and saw Double Indemnity. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That's another one of those is the classic. So I knew I was going to enjoy it. I was watching it again. And the next up was Ant Man. Uh, improbably, Ant Man. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this on the show. I was kind of disappointed with Ant-Man. I went into it really wanting to like it because I liked, I just love the idea of making a movie out of Ant-Man. Uh, I felt that the parts that were sort of identikit really dragged it down. But I really love Paul Rudd, and I'll, I will go see a second one. And I'm really happy that he's going to be integrated so heavily into the, you know, the, the larger universe. I mean, you know, he's got, you know, he's he's in Civil War, and apparently plays a fairly significant part so i'm i'm happy they did the movie even if i came away with it a little disappointed yeah oh well i you know it was a more ordinary kind of story i guess uh but i, I still enjoyed it one of the things they had to capture was 
uh, why shrinking is cool. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of those powers. Uh, you and I are both Aquaman fans, <laughs> and obviously, one of the things, that, one of the criticisms that um, uh, the mundanes like to, to, <laughs> to utter is that you know the, the power talking to fish that that idea is stupid. So shrinking is one of those things as well. I, I, I've always liked shrinking heroes, the Adam, Ant Man, all that, and because when it's well done, it's a super interesting power. So if they could, you know, translate that to film, make it interesting visually that when you're shrunk down, it's a, it's a whole new world. It's interesting. Uh, you can use it for various tricks. And they did accomplish that. So as far as making Ant-Man a property that's actually viable, you know, it worked. Yeah, it did. did and, it, you know, it made more money than they thought it would because they're going to do a sequel. And like I said, yeah. I'll go see the second one. I, I actually like the flashbacks to... The old Ant-Man and the old Wasp. Oh, yeah. I, I would actually would be kind of down for seeing a 60s set Ant-Man Wasp movie. I know they're not going to do that, or maybe they'll only do it in parts or something, but uh, I, I'd be on board for that. I really That was kind of my favorite parts of the movie were the flashbacks. Yeah, it sort of had a, a weak villain. Yes, and yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, but a lot of these, that's the problem I think with the, the B-list heroes is that they don't really have some very good villains. I mean, the only Ant-Man villain I can name, because Yellow Jacket isn't a an Ant-Man villain and he's right, right. another Ant-Man uh, would like what, Egghead that's the only person I can name <laughs> that would be I'd love to see him in live action that'd be fantastic <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, old movie wise I saw a bunch more I saw Plane Trains and Automobiles in the summer oddly enough I don't know why they put it out then but never get tired of that movie Airplane which was again just big silly Psycho another one of those movies that you know if it's I think I've seen it now every year for the last couple of years and just never oh, get wow. tired of it. So, uh, But you saw uh, Trainwreck, right? That was next for you? For me, yeah, Trainwreck was next. Um, again, something I would not have seen by myself, That's not, but, um, you know, the group decides. And the group, well, there are a lot of Amy Schumer fans in the group. Uh, for me, it's like, who is this person? That was pretty much it for me. So if there was a lot of the comedy that was pulled from her act, I wouldn't have known which probably made it fresher for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's, this is one of those controversial uh, women's pictures uh, that came out this year in the sense that uh, because she's, she's playing the usually male role of the, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of gigolo who sleeps around and really doesn't care and doesn't, tr- doesn't respect their partners, uh, this is usually a male role. And so by taking it on herself and her being that that jerk um you know it 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 creates comedy but then a lot of people thought well it's just it's horrible Mm. yeah but we accept this from male characters pretty easily usually uh you know so there was that that idea and again it it made people talk about gender issues again the theme of the year yeah i really i like amy schumer i think she's very funny i wanted to see it and again it's on my list of things to rent because I, I do think she's very, very funny and I, I like the idea and I like Bill Hader and stuff so I was excited yeah. to see it. The voice uh, of BB-8. voice of BB-8. Um, next up was Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, this is, uh, to me, they're very much like the Fast and Furious movies. They sort of exist independently of one another. You don't need to see the other ones to really have gone to see this. I thought this was terrific. Uh, I didn't think a whit about it after I left the theater but I enjoyed myself while I was there. I mean, it, it it's... You know, it, it's probably a movie that, like, had it been made 50 years ago, you would consider it like a lost classic because it's sort of just really well done 
film craft. You know, I don't think there's a lot of art there exactly, but it's just everything is executed really beautifully. All the performances are solid. The action set pieces are great. Uh, and it's a really good spy thriller. So, again, I, I, I've liked pretty much uh, – I didn't – first one was okay. I didn't like the second one. Third one wasn't bad. But they're getting better and better. I thought this was probably the best of, of the five. Rebecca F- Ferguson was my favorite of all the sort of like IMF f- femme fatales kind of uh, characters. Um, so, I, yeah, again, I didn't think anything about it, but I, but I did enjoy it while it went down. I think uh, my thoughts mirror your own. Uh, I do wish – you know, the – I wish the evil IMF – the reverse IMF was a little more, uh, you know, matched to each. I, I like the Super Friends Legion of Doom kind of <laughs> kind of thing where, you know, if there had been really an evil Simon Pegg and then an evil, if they each had their own actual uh, opponent. Oh, that would have been, oh, that's a great, Nick Frost could have been the evil oh, man. <laughs> Simon <Well>. Pegg. <laughs> now you're dreamcasting, but yeah, that would have been very cool, but uh, we weren't in charge of the picture. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I wish it had been a bit, little tighter in that sense. Uh, because in reality, it's just like a bunch of assassins. Uh, the evil IMF is just you know, assassins for hire in the same right. way that the IMF is not really for hire, but, you know, kind of thing. And I do wish some of these movies didn't start with the IMF being disavowed, which, mm. which seems to happen every picture. <laughs> you know, kind of. Give that one a rest. But you got to blow up uh, the Death Star again. <laughs> well, it's the J.J. Abrams uh, stamp of approval. You know, let's reuse the same plots. Like you said, you, you liked the third one. The third one to me was the, the worst one. Okay. Because, well, not, not only uh, is Ethan Hunt disavowed at the beginning, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the alias pilot. Oh, okay, it's right, exactly right, right. the alias pilot. It's even got one of the same locations as the. There's like a warehouse scene where's, you know, an old warehouse, in I'm guessing Vancouver, and it's, <laughs> it's the same warehouse, the same shots as in the alias pilot, which I'd seen, you know, fairly, you know, close to the, the same date. Or anyways, what what is this? What is this repeat? Mm-hmm. Um, so that really bugged me. About the the third one, but yeah, Abrams will often kind of do that. He's got a lot of qualities as far as as a producer and director, but one of them isn't uh, originality necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it would be fun if in the next film, Mission Impossible Six, it starts with him being avowed. That would be a great <laughs> twist. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the way Rogue Nation ends, you know, it's it's yeah. like a like kind of a little reboot. Yeah. Uh, I must have fallen asleep in between uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, Rogue Nation, and the next film, the next big film, because in between those two films, you saw like six movies. I don't know what I was doing during that month, but you saw a ton of stuff. So why don't we just zip? Why don't you just sort of trip hammer through all those movies that you sure. saw? Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, I up saw the, other uh, the Gift, which is sort of a thriller, home invasion thriller, but with one twist enough to make it really, really interesting and thought-provoking, better than the usual genre fare. Uh, then I saw The Man from U.N.C.L.E., which was probably my favorite spy movie of the year, mm-hmm. out of all those. Uh, this, if Henry Cavill, who is in this as um, Napoleon Solo, if Henry Cavill played Superman exactly like this, it would make some awesome Silver Age Superman movies. Hmm. Interesting. So it's like it's a, because it takes place in the '60s. He's just a little too straight, uh, 
because it is a comedy. One of the things that's weird about The Men From U.N.C.L.E. was that it was, again, another film that was terribly marketed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I don't understand why, going into the picture, I did not know it was a Guy Ritchie movie. It was not marketed as such. No. His name didn't show up in the trailer. So, I mean, it's basically the Sherlock Holmes, the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes formula, but in 60s Cold War spy film. It's basically right. that. All so right. if you like the Sherlock Holmes movies and that kind of humor and that kind of uh, you know, crazy kind of stunts, that's what you're getting with The Man from U.N.C.L.E. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, then there were uh, then another spy movie, American Ultra, which is um, Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart, was actually watchable in this. Uh, <laughs> as it's, it's as if Chuck, the TV show, it's Chuck if Chuck were a stoner instead of a geek. Right, right. Uh, so he's a CIA agent who was brainwashed, and he's a super agent, but he doesn't know it. Uh, you know, kind of fun, but it kind of turns into a weird zombie movie at the end. Hmm. The violence is just, you know, zombie crazy. Uh, but, you know, fluff. It's fun fluff. Then uh, Straight out of Compton, the biopic about the, um, uh, the, the gangster enemy. rap. Yeah, Public Enemy. Uh, not, not, peop- not music I've ever really listened to. I have to admit. So, to me, the characters are just, you know, I, I didn't know who these people necessarily were, although obviously you know who Ice Cube is. And, uh, and Ice Cube's kid, who plays him, looks just like him, dead ringer. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's sort of, since it was made by Ice Cube, uh, Dr. Dre and all them, they made the film. It, as a biopic, it's sort of kind of, it can feel suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, obviously you're going to, make yourself look good, although that's not necessarily always true in this case. Uh, but, but then I, I, that, that was my first feeling. And then my second feeling was, that, well, I mean, autobiography is a perfectly good genre for books. Why is autobiography bad for film? Interesting. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. You know, can't you write your own story and then people will, can decide if uh, you overpraised yourself or if you, you know, changed the details of your life? I mean... As long as it, it's clear that you made the film, which in this case it was. Then I saw Mr. Holmes, which was the older Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes with Alzheimer's, kind of, or losing his memory. I won't say Alzheimer's, because that's not quite what was happening. Uh, a quieter film uh, with Sir Ian McKellen in the role. And it was like, uh, it, it was a kind of, it was an interesting mystery because he was trying to fill the gaps in his own memory, like discover, like solving the mystery of his own last case, which he'd forgotten, really. Why did he leave the city? Why, you know, what happened to make him leave the detective's life? Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't know because he doesn't remember the details clearly and he's trying to write them down. So it's a kind of meditation on, on that kind of thing or, and how, you know, how he became a literary character uh, because in this world he exists, but obviously Conan Doyle also wrote the stories, or Watson wrote the stories and published them. So uh, an interesting film. I think it's something I'd want to watch again uh, because it, it is a sort of layered kind of thing, but a very quiet film. Then I saw Black Mass. I'm really going on here. Huh? Uh, <laughs> so a lot of so, movies. <laughs> yeah, Black Mass with um, the... Uh, sort of unrecognizable uh, Johnny Depp. Um, a crime picture like many others. I thought it was, because it's based on a true story about a, uh, 
a Boston crime lord. Because it's a real story, then it can't end dramatically necessarily, but I think there might have been a way, but instead it kind of feels like it just stops hmm. kind of thing. Uh, there are weird gaps, but it's, you know, it's watchable. It's got good performances. Uh, it's not going to revolutionize uh, cinema in any way. Then um, Crimson Peak, uh, the Del Toro film, which was sort of a gothic. Uh, it's, 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 it's really in the mold of Jane Eyre, that kind of thing. Right, I heard that, that it's, it was marketed as a horror film, but it's not really a horror film. No, it's a supernatural thriller kind of thing. I mean, it's got it's got horror horror tropes, like a house that bleeds. It's got right. that, uh, but there's a reason for it in in the story. So it's really, um, you know, Del Toro is a very good image maker. His his pictures are always very interesting to look at. The stories can be slim. You talked about Pacific Rim as having that problem. Same here. I think the the story's kind of thin for me, uh, but um, but as far as a sort of a homage to that kind of literature, to gothic literature, uh, it, it's it's good. It kind of ends abruptly for me as well. It's you know that that's the mark of a thin film where it's usually the the last act kind of dribbles away. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of what happened with Crimson Peak. Then I saw Sicario. I'm getting to your film soon. I promise. <laughs> I saw Sicario, which is uh, about a um, CIA-FBI joint venture into Mexico. Uh, crime lords, uh, drug lords across the border. Super interesting in the sense that it, sh I mean, I don't know how true this is to life, but the way the border patrols work and, um, you know, that, that, that kind of deal, it's not something we think about over here. The, the wall between Mexico and, or the fences between Mexico and um, uh, Texas or California. I mean, we don't think about those things really, but they do exist and they're explored in this. I, it, it did a lot. Of, there was a lot of chatter about this film as if it was one, it was really great. Yeah, I thought it was there just, was, yeah. It was just okay. Hmm. I mean, it was good. It kept my interest. It showed me things I hadn't seen, but ultimately the plot's kind of, you know, the, the plot's fairly simple in a way so i don't see what the, all the hype is it's still a good film and uh, then finally yeah. a film we both saw yeah <laughs> that would be the martian which everybody saw pretty much uh yeah i thought the martian was terrific uh you know it's got it's not the masterpiece that i think it kind of got made out to be but it's it's fun it's gripping it's got some great performances some great actors and it's all about being smart and figuring stuff out and uh, we are kind of over here in uh, in America. We are in our unfortunate uh, kind of anti-smart thing we got going right now where it's like, you know, book learning is bad and being knowledgeable about things is bad and, you know, being qualified for a job that you're, you know, trying to get people to put you, install you into is, is bad. So I sort of appreciated it, this movie going against all that and saying, no, 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 science is good. Knowing about stuff is good. That's, 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 a, that's an American value. It's a pro, not an Amer specifically American value, but that's a value that we should cherish, that uh, people are smart and they can figure things out. And uh, it's not all about just going with your gut or whatever. And I, I really thought it was uh, really quite good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awful that 
we need movies to remind it. Like, let's make a film that like that film, a bit like Straight Outta Compton is is a film for the time because uh, it does feature a lot of uh, police on uh, black violence, right? Uh, which was happening, which was part of the origin story of the band, uh, the group. But that we also need films that, like The Martian is current because right now. Right. Intelligence is devalued. Yep. So we need something to remind us of that. That it is actually a political picture. Yeah. In that sense. It's kind of crazy. And it's not just you. I mean, we just got out from under a, um, uh, a wannabe George Bush government for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So uh, the same kind of, you know, like the, 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 new, the new prime minister came to power and then suddenly scientists have been unmuzzled. <laughs> what? What's going on? What, what? They were muzzled? So, you know, uh, especially environmental uh, scientists. And so the same kind of things happening here in, in the Western world all over, I'm sure. So the picture is important for that. And I mean, Matt Damon gives a, um, a you know, a fun performance. It's got some, some nice humor to it. Uh, it's not just a sort of scientific puzzle movie. Um, yeah. yeah. Fun flick. Yeah. But again, I think oh, there's a lot of hype to some of these where, you know, it was the best thing since Casablanca. But right, right. It, it really isn't. I mean, no. Yeah, no. It's, a good, it's a good picture, but I'd still, you know, if you ask me which is the better similar picture, I'd still say Apollo 13 is a better picture. Hmm. Interesting. Probably. Okay. Probably. I, I haven't seen it in years. Yeah. Uh, I went to see The Shining. Uh, at a midnight screening, that was a lot of fun. I think that's just such a great movie, and uh, despite how dark and depressing it is, it's still a lot of fun. So that was uh, that was really very enjoyable. And then the next thing I saw was Bridge of Spies, which you saw as well. Uh, I see all spy movies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Spielberg and <laughs> Spielberg and Hanks, uh, written by the Coen Brothers. You feel like that can't lose. I, I thought it was a good movie, but not a lot more than that. It seemed like Spielberg in kind of low gear. Now, Spielberg in low gear is still better than most people in high gear, uh, but it just seems sort of uh, a little dispassionate or a little just a little mm, – I, I don't want to say boring. It wasn't boring at all, and Hanks is terrific in it. It just was just kind of very good. And I guess yeah. when, when you have Steven Spielberg, who's arguably the greatest living filmmaker, you sort of expect a little more than very good, I guess. I get a lot – that's the vibe I get from a lot of later day – Spielberg movies. Mm. Uh, very often, I think like the the picture is you know the frame is perfect and it's really well made, and you know uh, huge actors uh, are involved in it because they all want to work with him. But the, that veneer, that sort of gloss over the, the 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 screen, is keeps me at a distance. That's why. That's why I would call it also like dispassionate in that sense, where I, I'm not engaged because your picture is a little too clean, a little too perfect. But in this case, actually, it was this was my favorite Spielberg movie in years, hmm. probably, and in no small part because of the Coen Brothers script, which was again a surprise. I I, I know I I you know I don't seek out a lot of uh, spoilers, and sometimes I won't even have seen. Uh, the trailers to things. It just, I think the the movie. I, I like going to see movies where I don't know what I'm expect, what to expect. But in this, so in this case, Coen Brothers wrote this thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I was not aware, and um, and their humor is totally in it. The the sense of the absurd, 
where when he's trying to uh, when the Tom Hanks character is trying to uh, negotiate with the Russians or with the Germans or both, there's an absurdity there. There's it's Kafka. It doesn't make any you know even the the players know what they're saying. It doesn't make sense. It's just the way the game is played, and that's the kind of Coen Brothers irony that uh, really motivates their films. So this is like the Coen Brothers movie that came out this year and we just didn't know it. Right. So it was fun for that. I think based on the script, just the script alone was a lot of fun. Right. Uh, next for you? Uh, next for me was Steve Jobs. So I wasn't sure we were going to go see that one because um, there have been a few Steve Jobs movies mm-hmm. in the past few years. Uh, His own genre at this point. Yeah, that's it. I think a lot of people would 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 have felt the fatigue of it. Another Steve Jobs movie, and I am not an Apple user or a Steve Jobs. I, I don't know anything really about Steve Jobs. Um, so, are we going to go see this? Well, I would. I, I was the one pushing for it because Aaron Sorkin's script. Um, you had um, uh, who's who's directing it there? Um, uh, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle. So Danny Boyle's. All his films are different, and but he never really gives a, a bad directorial effort. It's always interesting. Uh, I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. All the TV shows, all the movies he's ever written, I've liked, even though uh, they can get repetitive in, in the themes he, he likes to explore. Uh, and so, I mean, f- just for the cred, the, 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 the credits for it, I wanted to see it. And I was not um, disappointed. I think it's a very interesting structure to it. It could almost be a play. It's like a three three acts. Each act takes place before a launch of a product. Right. And so so you're you're catching up with Steve Jobs every few years, uh, and so there's just and thematically it works very well. So there's just the idea that he's the father of a computer, but he's also got this illegitimate child in the story. So it's a father creator destroyer kind of thing, um, which I'm making it sound terribly boring, but, <laughs> but no, it's, I mean, it's, it's a Sorkin script. So it's, it's funny. It's clever. Uh, it, uh, it resonates all the way through. So I didn't care about this story at, before going in. It's not a biopic I wanted to see, but it was a, it, it was a very good film. It was something that it was enjoyable all the way through uh, and that I'd want to see again. Hmm. Uh, I went and saw a double feature of Dracula, the Bela Lugosi one, paired with the Spanish version. Ooh. And while both films are very good in their own way, putting them together was a little tough because uh, they're both very slow and drawn out. And even though the Bela Lugosi Dracula movie is only 61 minutes, it really... The uh, Spanish version is 90 minutes, and it really started to sort of seeing the same exact story told twice started to really kind of drag a little. So uh, I enjoyed both those films, but but seeing them together was maybe not the best idea in the world. Um, <laughs> next next up for us, it was three films that you and I each saw in different order, but all around the same time, which was Spectre, Spotlight, and Room. Um, I talked about Spotlight and Spectre on the show previously. I thought Spotlight was probably the best movie I saw of the year. It deserves all of its praise. It was fantastic. Um, Spectre, I am a, I'm a James Bond acolyte, and I really enjoyed it, even though it's I know it's probably a pretty deeply flawed movie. Room was the one that was surprising because it was a tough watch, Room, but it was I thought it was a really superb film with wonderful performances and, and a really... Uh, 
you know, it's it was not a fun watch, but rewarding because it was uh, it was so well done. Based on a Canadian book. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, all three uh, all three films had their qualities. Obviously, I think uh, Spotlight is the the big winner here. Uh, it's uh, you know it's it's really it's up there with all the President's Men, mm-hmm. a sort of journalistic procedural. And we have so little. It's, it's a bit like The Martian, where we've devalued um, we've devalued uh, smarts. Um, here we've also devalued, and they've devalued themselves. We've devalued journalistic media. Where today, I mean, I work in communications, so you know, I I I guess I'm a PR person, which is just awful to think about. <laughs> I'm in marketing. I'm no better off. Yeah, but for an advocacy group, you know, so we're the good guys, and everybody else is the bad guys. We can I can at least say that or think that, but yeah, the media is often very lazy and um, sensationalistic, and some media uh, outlets are worse than others, right? Some are propaganda machines, and some are just, you know, kind of locals kind of doing their best, not really. Uh, I see a lot of that. So seeing a strong newspaper team, uh, which, which this, this, it's not a fiction, this actually happened. So seeing that kind of journalistic integrity and work and uh, precision was well, to me like this is the kind of thing that our journalism students should be seeing and wanting to emulate so an important movie in that sense um, uh, and it's also packs a weird punch when you know at the is, is it is it late enough that we can kind of spoil it yeah uh, it's, uh, maybe not okay maybe not. but anyway the the cards at the end you know there's always yeah. cards at the end of yeah. a, uh, of a, of true, a biopic true story or, yeah yeah, that'll tell you what happened later, extra information that the movie couldn't impart. Anyway, the those last cards. The implication of what it shows you in those cards is pretty right. Pretty and you're gonna, yeah, and you're gonna, you're gonna feel that this story, which was just in Boston, actually, you know, happened also closer to home. That's a shocker. That's you know, the, the movie is very intellectual. It's it's not something where you're always feeling something necessarily. You're, it's more of a detective story than an emotional one. But that end card changes everything for you, mm. I think. Yeah. Uh, it's very strong. And then uh, Room is the next one uh, in the sense that it um, it's, uh, it's an unusual story. I wish we'd had more of the book in it. Not, I don't mean the incidents, but, you know, sometimes the little boy, you can hear the little boy's narration. And he sees the world in a very, you know, it's about a boy that grew up in a single room. Um, he and his mother, uh, well, he, he wasn't born, but his mother was taken hostage. And she lived in that small room where she gave birth to him. And that's been his whole world. And then the whole world opened up when, once he gets out of the, of the room at about, the, you know, some, sometime in the movie. But the narration where we hear the boy's voice and his unique perspective... I felt like it, we needed a little more of that. Mm. That was the that was the interesting thing from the book. Probably I haven't read the book, but that was the interesting and unique viewpoint of the book, which uh, it doesn't crop up enough. It doesn't need to crop up too much, but I wish it had been a little more in there, just a little more. But that's you know it's just a small complaint. Uh, and what did you think of Spectre? Eh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> At, at this point, we were always we're always comparing them, 
Uh, we've got 24 movies to compare, right? Uh, at least, uh, just in the broccoli canon. Uh, but um, you <laughs> that know, sounds like so, a fun thing—a broccoli canon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So obviously, to me, Casino Royale is the best of the Bond movies. Period. Mm-hmm. Casino Royale is the best for me. The not necessarily my favorite, but the the best Bond movie for my money is Casino Royale. And uh, Skyfall is also very good, with Quantum of Solace being some sort of epilogue to Casino Royale mm-hmm. in the middle there. Spectre should have been, to me, Spectre should have been, uh, you know, I, I wish I'd been as excited about, I think there are a lot of good bits to it, uh, especially the bon- Bond-driven bits. His, the, the comedy that comes out of him uh, as a character. Like when he's, uh, you know, when he's... Uh, uh, fighting with the rat, fighting, you know, when he's confronting the rat in the, um, the hotel room, mm-hmm. that, th- those kinds of things where the Bond sense of humor is well used. But I wish that the, um, that Spectre itself had been as exciting as when Gary Shandling whispers Hydra, uh, hail Hydra in, the, <laughs> in someone's ear. Like that little, like Hydra and Spectre are the same thing. Right. And I wish that, you know, they'd have the same, you know, that I was as excited about Spectre's return as I had been just by that little Hail Hydra thing, hmm. okay. uh, w- which I wasn't, you know. I wish it was was more Hydra. I wish, I don't know. I, I don't know what the movie would have been, but, you know, like a cold reboot of Hydra. Uh, I mean, Spectre, see, I keep, <laughs> I keep mixing them up. But that, the, that Spectre would have been more, you know, a crazier kind of... Uh, Evil organization, a more comic booky one, mm-hmm. somehow. And instead, it's, you know, it's always been Spectre's always been crime lords in a room together. Right. <laughs> it's never been much more than that. But you know, I wish they'd made it something more, especially since that was the title of the movie. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I went and saw Oklahoma, uh, which I'd never seen. It's not really my type of movie, the, the my type of music certainly, but. I enjoyed watching that sort of big music, you know, Technicolor musical spectacle on a big screen. So that was a lot of fun because it's just mu- the musical is is a genre that I I kind of resisted up until my twenties because I just was like ah, I don't want to see all that, you know, it's all you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, just wasn't my kind of music, you know. It's not rock and roll. I don't want to see it. But then as I got older, I realized no, 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 that's ridiculous. And there's a lot of good stuff. So uh, Oklahoma is one of the ones I'm catching up on. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I went and saw Trumbo, which I thought was terrific. Uh, I mean, it's that's a movie. I, it's all over things I'm interested in. The 50s, 40s, and 50s, Hollywood. Um, it's a true story. I'm interested in Trumbo's life. Cranston was great. Uh, it's a really solid movie. It's it's maybe a little on the nose in a lot of ways. It's in terms of making its points, but um, I love the details of of just how he survived. Uh, you know, while he was blacklisted, it's 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 easy to come out on the other side and say, well, he he ended up being coming off the blacklist, but yeah, but he had you know a full decade where he was unemployable. Yeah, and he didn't know that. Uh, and it, right, you know, and and how do you get through life like that? So, so I thought uh, Trumpo was was terrific. Um, that was one of the movies we wanted to go see, and then this is what happens in smaller markets like ours. Like like the first week we would have gone and seen it, um, there was a snowstorm, so we we didn't go, and then it was out. Oh, all right. It's yeah. already it's already not in theaters. Oh, it's a shame. So hopefully it gets a few nominations, and then they bring it back. Bring it in back January. out. That, yeah. that happens. 
That yeah. happens. It seems to be gaining speed on uh, gaining a steam on the, the Oscar race. And then I went and saw Roman Holiday, uh, which I had never seen. Uh, so again, my chance to see it on the big screen. It's William Wyler. Love William Wyler, and it's a that's just of course it's a classic. Everyone knows it's a classic. Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. Uh, the one detail from that movie I will mention, just because we're sort of trying, we're running out of time. I don't want to. We want to get everything else in. Is apparently that uh, when they were shooting the movie, it dawned on them. It dawned on Gregory Peck that Audrey Hepburn was a star. This was her first movie, and it just became clear that she was dominating the movie. And he said. Uh, she needs to get billing with me equal to me because if it's just me, my name above the title, I'm going to look like an idiot because it, this is her movie. And uh, they did it. They put her name and she ended up winning an Oscar for her first role. And she said later that that was the kindest act she had ever uh, been re- you know, received in Hollywood was that generosity of Gregory Peck to know he knew enough about himself to know she's got to get equal billing with me. And it really is her movie. He's great in it. Uh, but uh, but it really is the Audrey Hepburn you know vehicle. So uh, and it was it was a whole lot of fun. So before we get to Star Wars, the four Jamaicans, <laughs> uh, you got a couple more you wanted to get in. Uh, I saw um, let's see, I saw the, the Peanuts movie, which was I thought was ter- terrific. Great. Was the, it, we had kids in the audience who were you know laughing along and liking the Snoopy stuff, and then of course all the the cycle babble that's for us. Uh, <laughs> but it worked for both. Both audiences, both age groups, uh, very lovely touches on everything you ever liked about the uh, the peanut strip or uh, old cartoons. Awesome, um, mocking J Part Two, whatever. Uh, then I saw, <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, the Hunger Games is uh, whatever. Right. All, all those films look alike and feel alike, and right, right, right. Uh, it was fine. That's the best I can say. It was fine, and then it had like a hundred epilogues, just like. Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. So uh, then we have uh, then we saw Krampus, the um, evil Santa Claus movie, mm-hmm. which was one of those um, I guess a genre breaker kind of Gremlins kind of thing where it's equal parts family comedy and then creepy monsters and some some gory elements, uh, but it had a strong myth built around it. It was it was a good film. It was a good film. And uh, then uh, Star Wars uh, Seven: The Force Awakens. Yeah. Now I've we've on this show we've covered an ad nauseum, so I'm not going to say any more about it. I've seen it three times. I'm going to see it again tomorrow. Wow. I genuinely enjoyed it. It's not a perfect film by any stretch. It does. It's not as good as to me. It's not as good as the original trilogy, but it's in that ballpark as opposed to the prequels, which are out out in the parking lot. So, uh, just what what did you think of The Force Awakens? The, what it had to do for me was uh, create characters that you could viably pass the torch on to, characters that we would like to see in future films. And it did that. Mm-hmm. All the new characters are fun. The banter was great. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of comedy that worked. I want to see these characters in other films. That's all it really needed to do. The, um, you know, obviously it's, it's hung up on a plot that we've seen before. We were talking about J.J. Abrams earlier. That's his, that's his stamp. That's his signature. Uh, so, so sometimes it graded on me that, you know, we were seeing the same, the same plot points, especially since the prequels also made those same plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, was, that was perhaps troubling, but it was always fleeting because it was, you know, such a good time. Uh, so much fun. I, I even like Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a, uh, uh, they've made fun of him a lot because he's, uh, 
emo. He's supposed, he's like, yeah, he's the emo teenager. Well, yeah, I mean, what do you think the dark side is? All the dark siders all misbehave. I mean, right. that that was that that was Anakin's deal, right? In the prequels. So, um, so for me, I, it's a, it's neck and neck with Return of the Jedi. At this point, that's pretty good. So, so Empire is number one, and then Jedi is usually my second. Wow. You know, I, I respect good. Star Wars a lot more, but I enjoy Jedi more than Star Wars or A New Hope or whatever you want to call it. So this is uh, in that same ballpark where there are things that grate on me a little bit, but I mostly enjoy it for other things. Uh, you know, Jedi is all about the um, uh, badass Luke. Well, this is all about the new kids and um, uh, and what they can do. And that that's what that was entertaining. As opposed to the prequels where every new character they introduced was either blah or <laughs> irritating. Right. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, I went and saw – I saw just two more movies after Star Wars Force, Force Awakens. I saw Creed, which was terrific. Uh, again, it was a seventh installment of a 70s franchise featuring some of the original actors. Uh, if you're going to keep making them this good, then let's, let's do them all. Uh, I thought Creed was great. Ryan Coogler did a tremendous job. I'm very excited that he's going to be doing Black Panther. I think that's a great. I hope that it's not too much of a leap in terms of his budgetary. You know, he's not on the Colin Trevorrow trajectory, but uh, Creed was great, and uh, Michael B. Jordan is, is is terrific in it, and so was Sly Stallone as as Rocky. So uh, that was a, a really really well done, solid movie. And so, Cisco, what was your final film of this year? Uh, my final film was The Big Short which we saw uh, just um, a few days ago from my perspective. Uh, the Big Short is about the, um, let, me, let me get this, <laughs> the, 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 the bank crash, the uh, credit and housing crash. Ah, yes, of we all know it here. <laughs> right? Uh, which, which had rippling, if, I mean, this is an American story, but uh, it had rippling effects across the world. The only reason we didn't really feel it here in New Brunswick is because things were already very bad. Mm. So we didn't notice <laughs> that it gotten marginally worse. Wow, this is true. This is from a study. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm not being snarky. This is actually the reason why we didn't really notice it. Uh, so obviously, this isn't a this isn't a funny story. Millions of people losing their homes, and uh, but the film is hilarious. It's probably one of my favorite films of the year. Hmm. So uh, because the film knows. <laughs> and this is the same director as Ant-Man, by the way. No, it's not. Is, isn't it? No, this Somebody is Adam McKay. This. this is Adam McKay. Okay. Ant-Man was Peyton Reed. Are we right? But, but Adam McKay apparently was going to do Ant-Man at some that's point. It. That's it. That's what I heard. Sorry. So, yeah, so the, um, the idea is that the, the movie knows this isn't sexy. This is an interesting um, subject matter. There's a reason why these things happen, why the public and the government and everyone let it happen. Because it's not understandable. It's finances, it's banking, it's jargon. The movie knows this and it uses it to its advantage. So it treats everything as a comedy where, well, if we can't, we, we can cry or we can laugh about it, basically, kind right. of the take on it. And it's always, and it, it uses all sorts of tricks to keep you interested at the same time making the point that we were all distracted by all this nonsense stuff in entertainment. And this, that's how the movie actually makes you swallow the bitter pill by, you know, just covering it with sugar. Right. And so um, Ryan Gosling's come particularly funny in this. 
Um, you've got a lot of comedy actors as well, but so, so it's, it's so absurd. The whole situation is so absurd. The, the level of stupidity and greed that led this happen, that made this happen, is so absurd that the movie goes, well, you know what? It's not only is it absurd in a, in a Kafka kind of dark sense, it's absurd in a Monty Python sense. So it goes all out on the, like, to, to, to show you how ridiculous things were, but then, you know, the characters will turn on the camera and say, no, no, this actually happened, guys. I know this seems ridiculous, but this happened, kind of thing. So, um, uh, and, and at, the, at the same time, at the end, it's a bit like Spotlight, where you do realize that we've been laughing it up, and um, we've been learning, but thinking it's funny. But at the same time, this had a huge impact right. on... People's lives were ruined. Yeah. yeah. And the people who, you know, and, and, and the, the bankers and the people who caused it got away with it. Right. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be seeing it later on this week. Uh, actually, be the first film I see of 2016, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And they are hinting uh, about that approach you're talking about in the marketing now, because there are like, there were Facebook ads where it's like, learn about the big short, learn about finances with Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. Yeah, and it's like her in a bubble bath. Right. That's so right. I was like, wow, that's it's interesting. So uh, yeah, I'm really. That, looking, that's I'm how I know what subprime means. There we go. It's, it's, it's stuck. I mean, they, they teach us terms through those celebrity cameos. And, you know, now I know how, how it works. I, and I'm not a financial person at all. There are worse ways to learn things than through Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. So uh, it's good that you ended the year on a high note. Uh, I did as well. I went and saw The Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter, as God oh. intended. Um, <laughs> And it was marred a bit by the fact that the guy sitting right next to me had his phone out throughout the movie, which just completely flusters me. Uh, I don't understand why you would pay the extra ticket price to see a movie in 70 millimeter on the day it came out and then get out your phone. Uh, I, 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 it's one of those things where it's like on one hand I want to smack it out of his hand, but then you realize if you do that you'll probably end up having a conversation with the guy throughout the rest of the movie and then the movie's yeah. ruined for me. So I was able to sort of tune it out, but – it was very frustrating. The movie itself is terrific. Quentin Tarantino, um, I, I don't know if the movie's about a whole lot, really. I think it's, it's, it is sort of like, it's about things on a nominal level. Like I think Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and Django Unchained are. But I think they're really mostly genre exercises in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, they're about movies. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the comparison I will make, and I will make this fast, is uh, many years ago I saw an interview with the rock promoter Bill Graham, who was famous for, you know, put on every show in the 60s you ever heard of. And he promoted uh, Jimi Hendrix. And he went and saw a Jimi Hendrix show. And Jimi Hendrix did his Jimi Hendrix thing where he, like, he humped the guitar. He set it on fire. He played it behind his back. He lifted it up in the air. And he did all the, you know, crazy pirate pyrotechnics and after the show uh, during the intermission he asked Bill Graham what did you think of the show and Bill Graham said oh it was great but uh, schmuck you forgot the play and he said the room got quiet and he said what do you mean he says well you humped it you set it on fire you threw it around you didn't just play you know you did all the fancy stuff and apparently Hendrix got very mad at that and said well you watch and he went out on the second half of the show and just played didn't do any of the fancy stuff and according to Bill Graham, it was some of the best Hendrix ever was because it was Hendrix just concentrating and not trying to be sort of this big showman. And at the end of that second act, uh, Hendrix leans in over to the crowd and at Bill Graham and goes, is that good enough for you, Jack? 
And then he does an encore where he went back to humping it and setting it on fire and throwing it around. And it was like Hendricks wanted to prove to Bill Graham that he could do it. And then he went back to the, the, the fun stuff. And I feel like that's where Tarantino is. I feel like with Jackie Brown, which to me is his best film, he proved that he could make a movie that was quieter and more mature and not just necessarily a genre exercise. And now that he proved that to himself, he's now just going to do genre exercises. I feel like that. He's just like, yeah, I could do something deeper. I don't want to. I want to have movies where people's heads explode. Uh, and that's fine. If that's what he wants to do. I feel like he's maybe capable of more. But but uh, even that said, Hateful Eight is a lot of fun. The acting is great. And, and, and for a three-hour running time, you never get bored. It's very tense. Uh, it's a very talky. And then it explodes into violence. But you never get bored. And so uh, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would actually want to see it again. I, I thought the crowd was so unmanageable in some ways. There were people streaming into the movie a half hour late. A half hour late. Um, which is beyond me. I would think if you're a half hour into a movie, you just say, screw it, and we'll come back another time. Um, I think it's insane when someone, when all the, the, the people leave before the credits roll. To me, that's insane, so imagine. Yeah, it just, you know, it was amazing. The, the movie's broken down into chapters, and there were people coming in at chapter three. And I'm like, just turn around and go home. Just, you know, I mean, what are you doing? But uh, but anyway, I thought it was terrific. And I would go see it again, actually, in a, in a less uh, noisy crowd. I think I might enjoy it even more. So I thought it was a great way to end the year. And it was wonderful to see something in 70 millimeter. Um, one last thing I'm going to mention. Again, we're, we're, we're this, show, this show episode went way longer than we thought it would. Um, but I want to give special mention to a Netflix show, which was a very Murray Christmas. Uh, I am a fan of Bill Murray. I always have been. And I had real high hopes for this, but this was way better than anything I thought it would be. This has already rocketed to the list of one of my favorite things Bill Murray has ever done. I've watched it almost oh. – I've watched – I really put it up there in my mind with his SNL days, Ghostbusters, Lost in Translation, Scrooged. Uh, I love this thing. I'm in lo- I loved it so much I almost did an episode of the show devoted just to a very Merry Christmas, but I just never got around to it. It's touching. It's sweet. It's silly. It's genuine while also being sort of classic Bill Murray ironic distance. Uh, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And, and there are people I know who don't like it, and I can understand that. But I, I loved it, and I find it incredibly touching, and it's filled with great music. So uh, if you have Netflix and you haven't watched it yet, give it a try. Uh, I really I – really, I said uh, your mileage may vary with Bill Murray, but uh, I really, really loved it. And I hope they do a very merry Halloween or a very, <laughs> very merry Arbor Day, whatever they got to do. Uh, I thought it was uh, tremendous. So um, – that is going to wrap up our year in movies. Uh, it was a big list. Cisco, I'm so glad you came on the show to talk. I knew you'd seen so much, and I, I really wanted to hear your perspective on things. So thank you so much for doing the show. And uh, I, before we sign off, where can people find you out on the interwebs? Uh, well, if they uh, punch up the word Ciscoid in Google, they'll get to all my sites. I'm the, the only one. But uh, Ciscoid's blog of geekery is where I um, spend most of my time with uh, – Two posts a day, and then uh, if you're if you're less of a reader and more of a podcast listener, uh, there's always uh, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast at Lonely Romance. Co- uh, co- uh, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Lonely Hearts uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. The show Lonely title Hearts- is too long, Siskoid. LonelyHeartsPodcast.wordpress.com, uh, where it's just guys talking about romance comics from the 50s and 60s mostly, uh, and uh, yucking it up. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Everybody should be listening to it. So thanks for doing the show, man. I really appreciate it. I really wanted to wrap up uh, this year and uh, this way, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, as always, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's Film and Water Pod over on Twitter. The hashtag is Film and, is a FW Podcast, and the email is, of course, firewaterpodcast at conquest.net. So, again, Siskoid, th- thanks again for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. I really appreciate uh, all the feedback we get on this. Sh- we I keep saying we that I get on this show. Uh, I'm not an experienced film critic in any way, and this is just just an amateur just banging around talking about movies. But I've really been enjoying it, and I deeply appreciate all the uh, great feedback and the uh, the amount of downloads the show gets. I I, uh, I really really do appreciate it. So and looking forward to what we have on tap and the next year. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great and happy, safe new year. And until the next episode, that's a wrap. That's just a sample of the films to come. You can't please all the people all the time, but we hope we'll please most of you most of the time. Anyway, see you soon.